Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Well, hello. Duncan. Evening. And Jeff. Yellow. So, moving on to part 18 of our beginning of the fall anime season, we've all, <laughs> well, we've all, some of us have been watching Shiafru in some form or another. Uh, Duncan and I, longtime fans, uh, you watched it way back when, Andy. It's fine. Yeah. Well, uh, you... Duncan and I, longtime fans, are watching the third season, and Jeff caught the fever and is catching up at his usual impressive rate. <laughs> Jeff, why is Chihayafuru good? Uh, Chihayafuru is good because it is a, it's a, it's a really heartfelt sports anime that does a really good job of not getting too lost in the details of the sport itself while also not completely divorcing the good character stuff from the good game stuff. Um, mm. I was really surprised by how they only told you because the, the game itself that they're playing uh, Karuda is a, it's like, it's, it's going to be familiar to anybody who's Japanese, I believe, because it's, it's, it's generally a new year's game. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's like a, you know, you, you lay out uh, a whole bunch of second verses of poems and then a caller reads a poem and then the first person to snatch the second verse of it uh, wins that round and you just continue going until you've gotten 25 or you've removed all of your cards or something to that effect. But that they tell you as little as possible that you need to follow the drama and and don't get too lost like like when we were talking about uh after school dice club half that show is just them describing a game and you know the games that they've chosen so far are okay because they're relatively simple but it, there's a stark divide between here's the tutorial part of the episode and here's them playing the game yeah, and I, it's interesting because the latest episode of After School Dice Club features a game where they don't really teach the rules because it's kind of complicated, and it definitely show, reveals the show's weaknesses, especially compared to Chihafuru, hmm. um, that like I didn't really know what was going on, and the characters aren't that interesting, so <laughs> I, that was probably their first like dud of an episode for me, but yeah. I mean... I think part of the beauty of Chihayafuru is that the game character itself is, is really simple to explain, but then, so it's very easy to get on board. I mean, at the end of the day, you just hit the card of the verse that they're saying, but then the actual detail and the sportsmanship of it comes in a lot later when people actually have to, you know, you find out the technicalities behind how they know what's going to be hit and the sort of the way that they process the cards out and that's why it's good in the fact that like you say that there's not much sport to be like much of it to explain well there's not much of the game to explain to begin with mm -hmm. it's a pretty simple game but the way that they deal with the intricacies is very well done yeah um and, and also the characters are quite fun and yeah and yeah and, and the characters they you know they're all really well fleshed out they have their own uh you know, their own priorities, their own goals, their own hangups, and they all sort of reflect a different aspect of the game. So one character is really interested in the pageantry and the history of it. Another character has like, you know, a near eidetic memory and that's his strength, but he's finding that, you know, his own personal hangups are keeping him from excelling. And like, they get into that, like, you know, I want to get better, I want to get stronger kind of stuff that a lot of sports anime is really concerned with, but they 
do it in a way that is very grounded. Like, there's not one character. Like, it's like like in Hajime no Ippo, uh, you're following one character, and the almost the whole show is just concerned with him like mastering every aspect of boxing and does so perfectly whereas in this everybody has their own little contribution to make Uh, another thing that i really like about the show is that they set up a lot of the conflicts and goals but they subvert the the expectation of a lot of sports shows where you know they introduce like like the the top female player of karuta in japan is called the queen and they introduce her fairly early in the show and they sort of lampshade the fact that, oh, there's like the queen match coming up in January and it's like currently in the show, like, you know, early summer. And you're thinking, OK, you know, the arc of this show is pretty clear. The main character is uh, like a, a Karuta genius is going to be in the queen's match and she's going to win at the end of the season. And then she just kind of flounders and loses a lot and has like emotional breakdowns and she just like does not excel the way that you would expect a character in a sports anime to excel. And, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the show is concerned with the fact that, you know, this is about growth and it's about overcoming that hardship. And it has, it has a lot in common with, uh, uh, March comes in like a lion, but it, it's simultaneously like way less of like a grinding bummer, but also (laughs) like, like, like in that show, like Kiriyama in Three Line, Kiriyama loses when his mindset is fucked up, or like you know, and he wins when it's not. Whereas in this show, it's a lot more. There's a lot more environmentally what's going on, and it's not just about oh. like oh, you know, it's not just like oh, when I'm when I have my head right, I'm the invincible Karuta god. It's more like I have a lot of growing to do because I'm literally a 16 year old girl, and yeah. It- and they're also very good at having different players have different strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, like they teach you very early about how people tend to have like good poems that they're really good at identifying. Um, and they put those where they can be reached easily so they can always count on those points in the match. And recently in the third season, there's like a whole thing of like where someone has to be like, stop bending over, you're crushing your diaphragm and that makes you tired over the course of the match. And so there's a lot of like, how to play the game without tying it to understanding the rules. Like rules mastery is not what makes a person good at Karuta. And you can't like, like the whole point of uh, what's his face, the third wheel guy who's not, who's not Chihaya's like childhood crush. Um, But like his eidetic memory, like ultimately becomes a crush. If it was just simply a matter of knowing every single cart, like Karuta card and where it is on the board by heart, then it, then that would be it. But he's not, he's got other weaknesses. So that's really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. I think Andy partially hit on it when he said uh, character is just a very simple system. And when you look at Freeline, that's certainly not true of uh, Shogi. And it's like, like all those bits where you, with the, where you have the cats demonstrating the, uh, the matches in Freeline. I yeah. still honestly do not remember any of that <laughs> and yeah you can come into uh Chiafu having not watched it for would it be four years five um i don't know I'm, I, don't know <laughs> um, but, I think it was last i think it was last in 2013 wasn't yeah, it but a, a good while anyway since it was actually last airing and still actually just go oh yeah i understand yeah, 2013 this. so yeah yeah and six years 
I think, as you say, like that's allowed it to bring strategy and tactics into it more rather than just the the mental states of the players because Free Lion puts a lot of its animation chops into depicting the mental states of the various competitors and how that flows during the game. Whereas Chiafu is a much more traditional show. It's far less um, concerned with, um, like abstract um representations of mentality it's far more just clear moments of focus and uh, realization it's it's fairly traditional in that in both in that's that's one thing i liked liked about it i feel like and jeff will be able to speak to this when he, he hits this point that you could <laughs> transition well from the second season to the third and not feel like there has been six years between them that i the really ap- do wonder though because the third season we were talking about this before we started recording the podcast but the third season is moving so fast and there's a hint in the preview for the third episode for at the end of the third episode for the fourth episode that the next episode might just be one Karata match like you get a fair amount in the first two seasons and i really hope so because like i was missing especially the second episode where like every match they'd show you the beginning of the match and then show you the last like hit and then someone would mentally be like and that's why i lost that match and i i want a bit more of a slow burn with with, with these characters <laughs> one of the uh, the remarkable things is how much the original staff they've kept like it's same director yeah. and same scriptwriter uh, working on it and so like Maybe this is just their way of quickly offering a faster pace of onboarding before going in depth and having an entire focus on one match. Like it's it's spending the first couple of episodes reminding people who haven't been there for a couple of years is here's these people. That's what they're good or bad about. And for new people, it's showing them this is these people. They'll be they'll be popping up now and again throughout the cast. Yeah, and here's the bad guy. Here's the bad guy school. They've been beaten, so now they're our <laughs> friends. Yeah, in classic <laughs> shonen style. Classic, uh, classic. <laughs> but uh, just one other thing, and this is like something that's. See, I I was an English major in undergrad, but I never. I'm more about like the flow of prose and the way of laying out a sentence, which meant that I never really had much of an affinity for poetry, except for like the highly formalized stuff like you'd often get in Shakespeare's or Don's sonnets. Um, but I'd really appreciate Chiafru because it is a poem. It is a, a game about appreciating the like phonetic, the aural experience of poetry uh, and like literally how to play the game well to a lot of people is understanding the difference between pitches, how one pitch is changed by the pitch next to it, uh, how the different, the, the tone and experience and wear of a person's voice as reader changes how the words sound. And so just literally the, the aesthetic experience of poetry is a foundational core of, uh, how how you enjoy Chihafru and how the players in it play Karuta. And so I really do appreciate a show that takes care to, even if it's in the, the fucking dumb thing of like how the queen can tell what the next syllable is going to be by the tone of the breath being 
being drawn in by the reader um like that that's that's verging on like kuroko no basuke shit but it's still like it still just makes you think of like do i breathe differently when i'm about to start with a t versus when i'm ha- about to start with an a and I don't know. Like, I, I enjoy that. And some of the poems are strikingly beautiful. I think that, honestly, the Agura Hakunin issue, the collection of 100 poems by 100 poets, I think it's a circa 12th century work, um, is pretty uneven in terms of beautiful poems versus excellent exercises in craft. But I do think that sometimes they read out a poem uh, and I'm just like, wow, that's a pretty poem at the same time that I'm like, oh, yeah, Chihafru's, Chihaf is getting better at like handling her left side, which is her weak side because she's such a strong right sided hitter. So this is the moment where if John was here, he'd be going, and that's why, Ben, I, I tell you to make sure you pronounce this right, because her name's a tribute to one of the po- that like the titles attribute to yeah, her name and one of the poems at the same time so every time we mess it up we're we're messing up the beauty I of that right. poem it's it's sometimes i say chihiyafuru which is again one syllable affecting the next but it's chihiyafuru and that's the first line uh of a of a of a poem um i think about, also like, i think also what's quite good is that even though what you just said about how they can tell by the breath of the f- word uh, like the, <laughs> so even though that sounds kind of bullshit you can tell like the the nature of the show and in the sort of the environment of the world is ho- the the show is hosted and you can totally believe it and it's totally mm-hmm. viable and unlike like kuroko nabasuke's um, frankly, ridiculous moves at the end when, uh, but it, it's. I think it's. Um, yeah, I think I think it's very good. I just I just never got round to watching it. And I mean, then it I, happens. There's a million anime out there, and I appreciated how they 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 lampshaded a little bit. Like one of the reasons the current master, who's like the the top male player, is so strong is that there's only one caller who does masters tournaments, and he's defended so many times that he's so used to her voice that it, it it gives him an advantage and that's so like you know it still has that like sort of like shonen anime magic aspect mm-hmm. that you it, it's you know it's 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 lampshaded enough that it's somewhat believable like there's, there's nobody who's like just literally magic in the show yeah i mean like the, the queen the queen's like ability to hear to hear the pitch of breaths and then she's got a thing where she'll just like touch a single card and flick it off as opposed to like the big sweeping hits that are how people play karta because as long as your hand comes into contact with the correct card doesn't matter how many others you disturb Mm -hmm. um and i I really appreciated how they were able to make picking up cards so like exciting and dynamic but yeah like just having her having after all these like explanations about how it's like tactically smart to like order your poems in some way so that if you if you move your hand to hit a certain syllable, you're likely to hit one of like the three poems with that syllable or whatever to have a character that just literally like picks the right poem and flicks it. And that's the equivalent of like the end boss in another sports or fighting anime um, debt level of it, it seems a bit more plausible because the difference between hitting a bunch of cards with your hand and hitting one card with your hand doesn't seem as ridiculous as someone who can fly through the air from half court and make a dunk or whatever happens in Kroko no Basque. I've never or, seen it. Or, also, so. I, love, I love the way you just described it and then I'm just like, yeah, that's exactly the game. It's like the woman who touched the card that is the right card that she has to choose. And you're like, yes. yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how you, like, that's, that's what high-level play actually looks like. <laughs> just in a very reductive way. Ben, but, but like, what? just... 
how every character come like comes out in how they play the game. They're very good at having different characters, as I said, have have different strategies and characters who you think are like the filler background characters, like the shy glasses guy and the chubby guy are like by season three, like real contenders who are given substantial amount of like inner monologue time oh. to talk about their personal growth and stuff. I'm not sure of real contenders, but like i don't know i think that it was and granted this is something that suffered in the third season's incredible pace but we don't see the match where uh like i, I need to like they call him like porky uh, basically they call him like meat uh but how like he he the person was expecting him to concede but he refuses to concede because if he tires this person out, they will be more tired yeah, but later that's, in the that's tournament. Really, a supporting person role is what I mean. Like, yeah, his, no, but his he, entire moment like, of glory is he's he's giving his teammate a better chance. Yeah, but we get to he, we get to hear him say it. It's not someone else saying it. It's like him. Yeah, it, he gets he gets to own it as opposed to having the like coach come in and be like, oh, this is what he's doing. Um, and granted, this is coming off. I don't remember how. I remember it being fairly big in the second season. Is him is him reaching class A, uh, which is something that I feel like a different show would not let its supporting characters get too high in the hierarchy so that we don't have to distract from the, the oh, triumvirate no. of characters. No, I disagree. It's, it's totally the the arc of a show like a sports show for the supporting cast to be even better, but then the main girl or main character to be even better than them. Well, so it I just mean, that's shows... funny, funny you mentioned that because... Chihaya is struggling in the in the first few episodes of the third season, which is fair enough. Interesting. That's interesting. I haven't. I'm not even remotely there, and I don't she think still, I will. she still has got to the quarterfinals of a national tournament, despite it being the first time back after injuring her hands. Uh, but everyone's like, it's slipping by. It's faults by other people. Like they make sure that it's like it's not her on her own merits. There. I was going to say, what do you think of the character design of her next opponent? That's oh, like that the is... first weird bit, which is like normally it's it's a very restrained design, and her new opponent is an ex queen who has, and they even mention it these weirdly huge eyes, and they are just like, well, that was apparently a, a big deal because uh, that that character is being voiced by uh, Maya Sakamoto, who's an extremely like veteran voice actress. I think we actually talked about her briefly before. So apparently, she's going to be a, a major character going forward. Um, the she's a, a former, a four time, four time queen. Right? Yeah, four time. Yeah, four time queen, and she's like the reason that the coach for the evil team, uh, never <laughs> the evil high school team, never won because she had to go up against this girl every time. But then she retired to have a baby, and now she's back, and she's got like the baby Bjorn that she's carrying in between matches. It's very, yeah, it's interesting because they have a they have a great moment that I thought was probably maybe the f- the first like. They've been to a couple good like internal monologue moments where uh, where we talk about like, you know, picking a goal or accepting others wisdom. But in terms of like wisdom derived inside the context of a car to match uh, when she has like a brief breakthrough and hits a card before the before the person even finishes reading the first syllable and it hits her future opponent's card because they have the exact same like style and reaction, which I thought was very a very neat thing to like kind of foreshadow that this is kind of a mirror match for Jihaya yeah, coming she's up. She's got a very similar personality, like bright and bubbly, unlike uh-huh. the coach and the current queen who are both very reserved and like <laughs> quite stern yeah. looking. 
no, I'm excited. I really hope that like the, the next episode is all this match because I I really I think that while the show has been good coming back, we kind of need to get reacquainted with like what Chihaya's immediate goals are besides just dunno become queen, uh, which is literally what she puts on her uh, on her uh, uh, job survey for school. So. Yeah, because they had uh, like a little thing of her teacher being there this week and sort of going, do you think, talking to the the coach and say, do you think this is actually a realistic thing? Because she's Uh underachieving in all her subjects and she's not trying properly at any of the sports, which might be something she actually also has a talent at because she just loves this one thing. And does she Mm -hmm. actually have a realistic chance or is she wasting her her? her abilities in other things and letting herself down so right and i mean like online the meme is definitely like kara tabaka for for her of like she just has no no real personality or interest outside of karuta but she, it's such an all-consuming love that it doesn't kind of weaken her or compromise her as a character i think i think my f- favorite character to be reminded of this time around was ended up being a uh, uh, almost her exact opposite, which is uh, Rion, who's uh, yeah, who's a girl she has to pl- uh, play in the, like the first episode where she's learning. She's gone to a big training camp, and Rion's like this prodigy in an entirely different way in that she has almost no motivations at all she's just good at it and she like literally she lists her, her main motivation for playing as people give me rice and yeah food. <laughs> it's literally just to get fed like play karate get fed as her and also like her crush on the uh the captain. I thought it was but, the other way around. I thought the captain had the crush on her and she was no, oblivious. She has, no, she has feelings, doesn't she? Uh, uh, maybe I don't. Because, like, this is kind of cute having him in the, the audience in this, this latest episode while she's playing going, ooh, ooh, ah, oh. And just doing all these, these, these classic uh, sort of cheering on. Yeah. Uh, like, like it's, it's good to see a, a, a male character fanboying in, in rather than just having the, the, the love interest of a, a male one cheering them on. Mm. But yeah, no, it's nice to have another character emerge. Like, th- like this is, despite being definitely a show about, about Chihaya's, like, growth as a, as a player and kind of as a person, although not <laughs> particularly... But uh, but it is nice. That it's a little bit more ensemble than I would have expected it to be. That that was so. that 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 was a like a, a nice little thing in the second episode where one of her friends from the club tries to set her up with a date with the class president, and she's basically completely oblivious of it. Even though like they're maybe on off again, love triangle with Arata uh, is mm-hmm. like the foundation of the the, the series, like she's still completely oblivious of it and just like the wiki the the fan wiki claims that she, that she also has feelings for uh for makoto but who knows i i maybe i'm misremembering that but low-key crushes on other karuta players is kind of a theme of this uh, of this show too there's a bit more romance there that you can kind of feel from the show's more shoujo yeah, coloring. Which I mean, you you had mentioned Jeff too when you were first watching. This is a very shojo ass sports anime in some ways. Yeah, if you want flower backgrounds and stuff, and uh-huh. in your sports anime, this is definitely the one to go to. 
Yeah. <laughs> right, should we talk about other current anime go, go um, that I've been watching this season? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've been watching No Guns Life. No, I have actually been watching that. I'm pretty enjoying it, but I didn't want to talk about that because I, I imagine you've all talked about it before and I've only watched like four. Not really. Oh, really? No, I don't think we did. If you... If you if you want to, you, I mean, we very briefly discussed it in the, f- the first two. How far are you into it, Andy? Uh, I think about three, ups, up three episodes. No, I'm not up to date. Fuck, am I up okay. to date? I'm three episodes in. Uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying it a lot. I think it's really f- fun and weird, and uh, I enjoy its hard copness, and it's very like uh, the weird sort of very Japanese drama, like Japanese detective hard cop show done in a sci-fi setting i really enjoy that i think it's pretty fun uh i'm Mm -hmm. i like that he has cigarettes that supposedly power him um i actually really like all the bits where he's in it i just don't really like the weird uh doctor lady i think she kind of ruins the um show a little bit i think that her dynamic is a bit off when i just like him as a person um sort of yeah I think it came up in the the, the chats uh, with, with me and John and Jeff about it that he's a, he's a good main main character that he's got uh, a very goofy, lovable, central role, and that you couldn't really say much about either the the Doctor or the recently saved a mysterious boy in terms of personality they're just there one to fix people up and the other to be a um but definitely xps um, for stuff to come and it's definitely all about the uh guy who's got a gun for a head which i fucking love um i uh, yeah i i really i really enjoy um i really enjoy the fact that it's i don't know it's weird like as much as it is a stupid anime on the surface it actually plays it really straight and i think it really it, if it didn't play it so straight i don't think it would work i think that the fact that it's completely straight like he's like yeah he doesn't like it's weird but the straightness gives you a grounding that you can understand and then hopefully because the the first sort of thing that me and mids when we were watching it mids was like it's pretty common like this is a pretty normal like sort of this type of anime like a seinen sort of procedural cop anime and i'm like yeah and then i was thinking about it and i'm just like probably because you know you need to have some groundings for people to understand before we can really get on board with the more insane shit that's going to happen later like the reason why he's got a gun for a head and he's got a revolver in his hand that sort of does stuff that but it's so expensive like there's a lot of weird stuff that they're just sort of keeping sort of very cleverly hidden and i think they're going to bring uh, it up i, l- I love I loved the bit in the the third episode where, um, for for reasons which are too too complicated to go <laughs> to explain, he gets a a bag put over his head, and it, it's noted that this doesn't affect yeah. the fact he can see at yeah, all. Yeah, so it's, it's, like, who knows where his eyes actually oh, are? There's so many little bits <laughs> like that that are absolutely amazing, and uh, I really I really enjoy it. Uh, I think it's pretty fun, even though there is a, a very silly like uh, girl, like titty girl nun shooting woman who (laughs) dies or doesn't die probably not but she has a gun that shoots two bullets probably why she misses because she's a shit shot (laughs) (laughs) it will surprise absolutely no one to know that that it's 
the same character designer as Black Lagoon, so... I thought there was... Is that only in the anime? Because the mangaka is original, I think. Like This is the first thing he's yeah, done, just, from what I could tell. It doesn't... As far as I'm aware, it doesn't show a mangaka. It's just the character interpreter for the anime. Right. He, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... Double check it's, it, But it is fantastic, and I'm really enjoying it, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. I don't know if we've got much more to say on it for now. I... I'm excited for every. I'm excited to see where it's going, uh, and I hope that the, like I said, the sort of dynamic duo that they've got with the with the uh, with the the doctor and him either dies down or sort of becomes a bit more natural and well done. Because right now it feels kind of jarring, and uh, yeah, I'm not quite enjoying that bit, but. I really wanted to talk about uh, the most common anime that I think we've all watched by now, uh, The Castle of Cagliostro. Yeah, that's uh, 1979. Uh, I thought, you know, well, it's the 30th anniversary, so I'll I'll get that in the bag. Um, (laughs) No, it's not. It's older than that. Fuck me. 40th. No, it is 79. 40th. Yeah. 40th. Yeah. And yeah, I I really enjoyed it. If you don't know, it's the Lupin. It's the Miyazaki, uh, one of Miyazaki's first directorial debuts, um, and it's really quite fantastic in the fact that um, it's got it's it's still very watchable and very enjoyable. There's a lot of stuff that I find very interesting from a production standpoint that you don't really see anymore. So there's like a great scene where they're underwater uh, and they're going through like a viaduct and they have to go through there for reasons. But the whole thing is completely silent, like because obviously you can't do anything and say anything. And even though there's like some really funny bits where he's about to fall down a waterfall, so he does that thing where he keeps swimming to sort of stay up. Yeah, um, it, it does go a bit uh, Bugs Bunny at that point. Yeah, but he's, he's like, oh no, it's what? all completely silent. Like there's no sound from that. It's all just like rushing water and just the animation just telling the whole thing. Mm. Like, and I think that's a really weird weird thing to have done like you don't really see that you would expect some sort of more visual cues for the comedy but they they just didn't they just that was just quite refined and then there was also just like a lot of bits where whenever there's like a moment whenever they reveal something it's like it's like this lovely violin like like that whilst like nowadays you'll get more of a sharp like sort of like <laughs> uh, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe like twenty four or something. Like it's sort of like these weird changes that have happened to anime and like media over the well, forty I think years. Looping it, the Kaglister itself was definitely playing on the same era of um, spy and uh, uh, thief films that um, would later get parodied by things like um, Austin Powers, like this, these, these whole things which, like, I don't know, uh, Get Carter, where you have, like, this lovable crook and the this, these very iconic soundtracks which went with that. And I think it shares some of the, uh, the sort of soundscape of, of some of those late 70s films. Um and like I watched it about a year back, and the th- thing which led me to watch it was that he, Lupin has been a very changeable character throughout his um, his 
I think he, he, he I think the series started in 72 I'm not sure when the the original manga started probably even before that but as you say it's close to a 50 year run and he's obviously had to be adapted to more reflect what is believable to the times and it's interesting how much of a a nicer more chivalric gentleman thief Lupin is in Capsule of Caglaristo than he was in for instance the the woman called Fujiko Mine or Lupin's part four and five recently and that he like he's literally saving a princess so you can't get more sort of gentleman thief yeah, than that yeah it's, it's I mean you could maybe potentially argue it's quite white knighty of him to just assume that she's in danger I mean she is but like she is. <laughs> um, but yeah it, it was it, it's yeah I, I totally agree I, I enjoy a lot of I enjoyed pretty much everything that they were putting down actually I, I thought that it was all very, like it's all very well animated for the time it's beautiful mm. like the stuff where he sort of like that first chase scene where he's he's like on the oh, he's yeah, on the side of the road and then he uh, on the side of a cliff on a road and then he just drives up the cliff on top it's really fantastic yeah. and uh, yeah but the chivalry stuff he still had that Chivalry stuff I'm not too bothered about, though. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Like, the chivalry stuff I'm not too bothered about. I felt that he was very much the same character that he was in part four and five, even though I haven't seen much of the other stuff. Um, Do you... So you, you, you... Did you get a sense of if he was doing this out of some greater moral compass or because it amused him? Because I think when he's at his meanest... It's, it's he may help people but he's doing it just because he gets the kick out of it not because he feels it's the right thing to do it's just this happens to be he's he's something he's he's done and that he is quite happy to take advantage of people when it suits him and i thought he was far more lovable and had that moral compass in Cadlister than he has at some other moments during the series. I mean, he's like, he's he's he's, he's always after the tre- he's always after treasure. When whether that's whether that's physical treasure or the treasure of a young princess's heart, um, you couldn't possibly <laughs> say that was. By the way, that fucking line at the end, uh, beautiful, absolutely loved that. With uh, Zenigata being like, "Well, he didn't take any treasure. No, he took the most precious treasure of them all, the heart of a young princess." And I'm just like, "Fucking yes, love this. This is what I love." Um, and yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on and Zenigata and uh, their entire like uh, recurring cast are. Interesting because they are very, very much stereotypes. They are the like the noble samurai, the uh, femme fatale, mm. the dogged inspector, and the sort of the the, sn- the, shot, the gunman, the gunman slash like best friend slash like uh, yeah. What's that Actually, like yeah, I th- I think maybe after he's he is my favorite character. What like, Jigen after. Yeah, Jigen yeah. Daisuke. Daisuke? Daisuke? Yeah. yeah, who knows? No, yeah. it's Daisuke. But yeah, because sure. he, he, yeah, because as you say, like he, he's the in point for the audience, I think, because he, he hasn't got like this weird unknowableness that, say, Go Goemon does, and he doesn't just 
zip in and out like Fujiku does. Like he's always there and he's always feels a bit tired and a bit put upon <laughs> with with what Lupin's Lupin's up up to. But he's he's there because it, as you say, because he's his mate and he's he's like he, there to uh, just like make sure he gets out of this one alive because <laughs> he's constantly getting himself into situations he shouldn't get out of alive. Yeah, and that's also, I mean, moving on to the general Lupin series and, like, Lupin as a whole, like, that's what was really good about part five was that it actually questioned these dynamics and these friendships um, in an interesting, if not slightly predictable way. I thought that, mm. uh, that I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty good. Um, I I know they've had a series of films centred on each of the supporting characters, which I haven't got around to seeing, but even supposedly know. very well. Uh, they interestingly they're directed by the uh, people who did uh, Trevor and uh, Redline, I think. Oh, okay. I'll double check it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not wrong about that. Or I, or am I? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But yeah, no. I'll, I'll find sounds, out. Sounds good. Anyway, Castle of Cagliostro. I really. Really, really enjoyed it. I thought that it uh, actually... You, whenever you watch something that old, you're kind of worried that it's not maybe as going to hold your interest as much. But no, it does. It really... It really. I don't, I don't think I have much more to say on it, really. Unless uh, uh, anybody else has anything to chip in for a show that's 30 years old. I'm not going to lie. I did... 40, 40. 40 years. Oh, I'm 30 years old. That's what it is. Shit. <laughs> <sighs> not yet. Poor baby. <laughs> I still baby. got two months. No, I'm fine. no. If if I recall, if I recall, you're actually 19, according to Doctor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's just mental podcast lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always 19, and I weigh uh, 75 kilograms. <laughs> How many stones? <laughs> <are there? laughs> I don't, I don't know. But my three measurements are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and what's your star God. sign? Yeah. Yeah. What stone is that? <laughs> God. Actually, sp- speaking of three measurements, that's a fairly niche way to transition to a show that I've been watching in my free time when I'm not watching uh, Vinland Saga and High Score Girl, which is has had an interesting premiere to its second season. Um, but I'm watching Hisone Tomasotan, also known as Dragon Pilot Hisone and Masotan. Uh, I always love when I say the title and then say the the like license version which is just the title translated sometimes not even completely translated no, it's mostly but, dragon like the mm. japanese if i'm not correct like concentrates in hisote and tomasotan and then and then in the, yeah. the suffix is dragon pilot whilst in the netflix it's dragon pilot and then yeah well they have to they have to like explain what the show is they can't have anything like subtle or elliptical there but i picked this up because i've had a headache all weekend owing to a Hello wedding that I had to go to. Um, uh, but I wanted something that I could just kind of enjoy and watch. And I, I've i liked the nine out of 12 episodes that I've seen thus far. I'll probably finish it after we finish this recording, which is unfortunate. But how, how this podcast often works. Um, but it definitely was. There did come a point about halfway through the show when, when one of the characters was like, oh, yes, these women can pilot these dragons because they have incomplete hearts. And I'm like, oh, right, Mario Kart. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've, I've, these people, these people are our main characters because they're fundamentally broken. Is the speech that comes up anytime there's a Mario Kata joint? I mean, there. is that Mario Kata, uh, or is that just like if you can, if you think of a dragon as a mecha? You could probably insert it to a couple of other fucking things, like sure, yes, but <laughs> like it's not just specific to Mario Kart. But it, nevertheless, it's also ubiquitous in all of her work. Um, it's <laughs> it's like saying that Trump is the pinnacle of GOP bullshit, or that Boris Johnson is the yeah, like you can be you can be worse than <laughs> than just the regular kind of anime bullshit. Uh, in that respect, but I did enjoy. Okay, things I like about uh, Dragon Pie, which is about this girl who's kind of a kind of a difficult to get along with fuck up, but <laughs> then she discovers that she can pilot a dragon, um, and then she hangs out with other people, can pilot dragons, and now they've got to save the world uh, because there's a big dragon. I I like that that she's. Kind of the opposite of, 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 say, for instance, as Andy brings up, like someone like Shinji, who, who absolutely does not know how to speak his mind. In that, she can absolutely speak her mind in some ways. Mm. That's that's set out as her initial problem. But well, that that's going into things I don't quite like. I was going to say things I like first to kind of soften is the it, blow. Is it the old but, woman uh, who gives people sweets? Because she's definitely the best character. <laughs> I, I, like the, I like the art style. I think that this is one of the classic examples of when you have a character designer who's also the chief animation director. You like this is something that you've brought up with Cautious Hero. I think Duncan mm-hmm. is that yeah. when when the he- head of animation is also the person designing the characters, you have these characters that are very malleable and alive and move around in ways that are really emphasize what's funny and interesting about their character designs. Um, so I like that. Uh, I think the dragons are cute. Satomi arrives in it and they let her do her very like mumbly grandma voice, uh, on a character. Uh, so those are all great things. Um, I completely like, I, I like the main character. What's her face? Uh, he's on it. Because they keep calling her Amakas- Amakasu, so I, I forget that like Hisune is her like call sign or whatever. Uh, but um, I don't really buy that she that like she has a problem with being too blunt because she seems a very like a very shy and definite person, and then she has these kind of episodes that seem to be very triggered by plot necessity where she'll just say something like brutally honest and unflinching to somebody uh, and then immediately retreats back into being like shy and diffident but you get the impression that like she's overcorrecting when she's yes. when she's not talking <laughs> yes but nevertheless it's it's definitely a flaw that like is reported to you by her saying this is my flaw as opposed to being something that emerges organically from the character writing um, but I like how soft it is generally um, I think that a lot of the vocal performances, including like as I discovered shortly before recording, Romy Romy Park is the old lady who sells the the yogurt drinks, um, who ends up being like the last survivor of the World War II era dragon pilots. Uh, because yeah, I don't know. I think it's very interesting, and it have definitely hasn't had uh, too bad. Again, John's not here because he'd grown and roll his eyes, but hasn't had the people rolling in the mud saying it hurts <laughs> <laughs> yet. We have we have three to go, and we've just discovered that 
uh, Hisone can no longer pilot her dragon because she's fallen in love. Um, and this is like a fundamental psychological change that happens when you pilot a dragon. It makes you more open to emotions. And the number one way that people uh, attrition out of the out of the dragon pilot program is by falling in love, which there was a review that I came across that kind of that while it praised the show, it did say that there's like a lot of extremely gendered assumptions at the basis of these characters' dramatic arcs. And I definitely see that where it's the whole like women can't be fighter pilots, but they can be dragon pilots. But if they fall in love and they have to quit and it's just like, oh, was this is this a TV show from the 90s <laughs> or was this made in 2018? So what? But no, it's interesting to see where it goes. And I do like the softness, as I said, like multiple times. Did I imagine it or did John actually watch it and then didn't like the the guy who made, who designed the suits and he thought that she, he was too pervy and then just dropped it. Or did I, was that someone else? Um, Well, well, that's, that's why I was referencing the sizes because he does like, he does like grab women around their waist or their hips to like measure them with his arms, which is creepy. Um, I don't want to say anything that John may or may not have done, but that does not sound too far outside of John's character. <laughs> uh, it, it is definitely both a real flaw and a self-reported flaw in him. But it happens, uh, I swear it happens once and then he never comes back in, I think. No, no, he's he's there in every fucking scene and he does, he like looks at the main character and he's like, he's like, I see you're still a 36, which is creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. That's a creepy thing to say I to mean, people. I think he's supposed to be creepy because I, I see that character as kind of a, a co- condemnation of every plug suit designer in anime. It's every time someone's decided, okay, we're about to stick your anime heroine who's getting in that robot in a skin tight suit. That's the fucker who's doing it. This creepy old man. Yeah, I mean. And yeah, and Mary Okada likes to do that kind of thing of just kind of like commenting on the ambient misogyny around her without necessarily condemning it. Because we saw a lot of that in Oh, oh Savage Maidens as well. I feel that it's fairly condemned. I don't think that anyone's like, oh yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for telling me that. I feel that everyone. No, no one. Call, no one in the show calls him creepy. Oh really? Yeah, every, everybody, yeah, everybody yeah, reacts to him it. like he's creepy, but he's never like. It's never like a polemic against that guy. It's just kind of like, hey, we're gonna have sexual harassment jokes in the show because that's to just bar- the way to it borrow is. a term from TV tropes. It's definitely lampshaded, but not subverted or critiqued. It's it's saying like oh look at this creepy character we'll put a lampshade on him now he's wacky and everyone knows he's creepy but that's like he doesn't lose his job for molesting a new recruit on day two of her of her time like the, which I mean granted is not in the show's tone at all but like like he's he's definitely just a missing stare in the in the dragon pilot program and definitely accepted that because of his genius we can't get rid of him we just have to accept that yeah that's, he's that's creepy. often the excuse isn't it um, yes. but i mean i mean there's so many cultural polemics these days about like the myth of the genius man who who you know is too important to to fire and hopefully me too is making some pressure on that but it's mm. still definitely something that the show jokes about yeah, there's. I think there's there's some issues with um one another one of the fighter pilots, um, uh, Eru, uh, who's like this short-haired ace who pilots the sort of, um, I think it's F sixteen equivalent, um, and like she's he's he's portrayed as this person who's like 
done everything she can to make it as a real fighter pilot and who slightly resents being made to become a, a, a dragon pilot. And, like, the fact that her romance arc is sort of being... Uh, uh, I don't <laughs> I'm know interested to hear to what the it. word you're going to use for this is. Go on. <sighs> Go on. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not like this, putting on it's, blast. It's like the. It's almost her. Her. Her romance arc could almost be boiled down to like the man coming up and slamming his hand against the wall next to her because like that's all like that it seems to be like he harasses her to the extent that she eventually accepts him. But I I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I I can see what they're trying to do with in the most charitable version of that romance where he he like he's a playboy and a womanizer because it's a defense mechanism and he actually respects how how what's her face uh Hoshino uh like doesn't fall for his shit and like at some point when he's trying to like tease her about they're both on on treadmills um, and he can't keep up with her and she's like you can't even keep up with me why should I waste my time with you and he's like that's why you're so cool and it's there is this idea that like the womanizing is a veneer and it's a toxic veneer that that by him shedding it makes but there is still like the fact where like she falls down the stairs and he tries to grab her and then somehow and as opposed to ending on t- up on top of her like is the usual trope where he falls on top of her he ends up like doing the pinning her against the wall thing and i think they kissed she rubs her mouth a lot for them not to have kissed although he can't see yeah. from the camera angle um, it's, so, it's one of those hev- very, very heavily implied kisses, which is not shown. Yes, but, for some yeah. reason. So, like, I like the the romance of uh, of Amakasu and the uh, the lead uh, ground tech guy who is revealed to be <laughs> secretly like the government's official Shinto priest for this for this uh, ritual. But her romance is definitely a bit more like annoy her into falling in love with you which is much more traditional in fact like like i said there's a lot of like weirdly traditional gender attitudes coming here which makes me surprised that you know one of anime's few superstar writers female writers wrote this but i mean yeah it's it's interesting because like a, a lot of like stuff full of problematic shit is written by women especially in anime and it's hard to know when it's being like when it's just like oh the editors wanted this because this is what sells or this is me talking about it and i feel qualified to do it or it's just people you know don't necessarily just have a paycheck yeah yeah <laughs> or people just don't necessarily have perfect politics based on their like identity and and uh, it's, it's 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 you know it's that it's that old you know that old hobby horse of you know it's it's good to you know it's good to be critical of the things that you like and not necessarily just defend every aspect of it but it's i think it's i think it's it's it, it's interesting that yeah like mario kata she's she she likes to have these kinds of things in her show and they usually contribute to the humor but they also usually also contribute to the pathos like like you know just you know showing the the weird like liminal strife of being a woman in Japan and being subject to these, to these attitudes and to these systems and trying to thrive within them and not necessarily like going out of her way to like, you know, to say like burn it all down, which I know might be dissatisfying to a lot of people. I'm not sure. 
Well, I think it's it is interesting because I did think that there was a commentary on like femininity uh, with how the show is about dragons who have to pretend to be airplanes because the world just can't handle dragons. And that does seem like a commentary on like professional women who have to pretend to be men in the workplace because the world can't handle a dragon. Um, but I don't think it has so far. It's not really following through that. It's largely gotten hijacked by the the end of the world plot that's emerged. But I do think it's with a lot of Mario Kata stuff. It's like, wow, what a rich, interesting premise. And then it kind of just plays out in terms of kind of pathos bordering on bathos. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm interested to see how the last few episodes resolve. And. I I really hope it's not headed where I think it's headed, but the the advantage of, advantage of cynicism is that you're always pleasantly surprised when things go well. So, do you, do you want to put on record, Ben, how you think it will end? Um, uh, I'll reveal that at the end of the podcast, after I've had a break to think about it. And speaking of, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking about our spotlight topic, which is cicadas in anime and particularly the baggage of summer in anime. And we're back. So for the second half, which is probably going to be a bit shorter than the first half, we're going to go ahead and cover basically summertime in anime, but the, the aesthetic signifiers of summertime, especially cicadas, which I just discovered is not everyone's ubiquitous summertime experience of having the deafening noise of cicadas just blanket the world whenever uh, we uh, shift towards being a bit closer to the sun in terms of pole orientation. Yeah. I mean, for me and Duncan, the Brits, we don't have cicadas. We just have um, suntans and, well, suntan lotion and depressing days on the beach whilst it rains. Uh, or very windy. And weddings like, in Blackpool, we... if you will. Yeah, weddings in Blackpool. Go, don't you? Ah, don't start on that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we do do occasionally have, like, the hottest day in living memory when someone decides to get married for Andy. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good idea, wasn't it? That was a great that was a great wedding. Was I mean, it's, it's better than the time that I the hottest day ever in St. Louis when I lived here was when I helped my friend move and he actually trapped me in an elevator behind a mattress that he was oh, putting oh up no. there, and so I got to be in three three floors of smothering hot softness and just kind of like poking at myself inside to see if I was going to have a panic attack about it. I didn't ultimately, but <laughs> I was, I was doing some self inventory up until that point. I, it's, it's a nightmare to be stuck in a lift. I like, it's, it's my biggest, like biggest fear. Um, but you know, also Britain in a very British way, we complain about the rain. I mean, as soon as it's sunny, it's like, it's too hot. It's too hot. It's too hot. What the fuck is too hot? And I'm just yeah. like, you're never happy. Um, I mean, I think the thing is, is just to get back to the cicadas and stuff. I was going to make a crusade aisle joke, so that's, yeah, let's go ahead and move on. Like, I think the thing is, like, for me, trying to get to grips with this topic is that I've, it's really a bit, bit alien to me because, as we, as we said, it's something I've never experienced in person. And, like, the, the it's like, 
I think in a, in a weird way, like a lot of the br- traditional British signifiers of of summer were things like uh, uh, birds, things like swallows and sparrows, mm. and this is chirping and that noise. But as to me, it's the- always like the viz. You know, viz. This is a British, British, British fucking comic here. But that viz, like ridiculously stripy, like bathing suit, red and oh, white. You mean the, like you mean like the uh, sort of. Mr. Um, Punch style. Um, yeah, that's it. Old, yeah. Fashion, old fashioned onesie bathing suits. You mean? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then and then Mr. Whippy's. Uh, no, Mr. Ninety Flight Ninety Nines. Ninety Nines, which are not one pound ninety nine anymore. It's one pound ninety nine. But let's not get into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you are talking yeah. about. Oh, that, is uh, this like uh, no, uh, for a long, long, long time? The the ninety nine flake was like a, a, the staple of British children. Like you mm-hmm. got. You had like a, a, a thin a wafer cone, and then like the UHT soft serve, ice soft cream. serve ice cream. Cheers, Margaret Thatcher, and then yeah. uh, and then, and just then a, a flake, and that's a, a ninety nine, and and strawberry sauce, and that is the like iconic Ooh, British. No, no, dish. strawberry sauce is an extra twenty p, mate. Fucking fucking what? Well, you honestly had fucking dunking you live. You said you're going to be bringing this back towards the original topic. This is. I mean, let's, let's not get into scribble scrambles. Yeah, that's that's if that's if you've been really. This is good. literally just a scene from Austin Powers. What are you talking code? Uh, no, because uh, grow, growing up, like I grew up in in Dallas, Texas, and like we got cicadas. We didn't have the same like the seven year cicada where you just have like these def these like monster deafening years but it is impressive that like cicadas are possibly the most persistent omnipresent noise that an animal makes in nature for a suburban boy besides possibly like if a bunch of ravens or crows or grackles decide to roost outside of your house uh which i think is a grackle a grackle is a grackle it's it's you know it's the thing from it's the thing from that poem. It it's like isn't it the thing that kills a Jabberwocky? Isn't that what the grackle is? Uh, no, a grackle is just a, it's a bird called a grackle. Don't don't. It's a it's I, a it common has three heads and can be defeated by a mystical. The common name sword. for one of eleven passerine birds native to North and South America. It's called a grackle. Great. It's a grackle. Okay. Oh, Google a grackle. grackle. Check the show notes for grackle. <laughs> I refuse to Google grackle, but here I am. So, so, so what, what, what web service is Google grackle? It's <laughs> uh, just you sign up and it sends you loud, painfully annoying noises every so often. But no, like... So I was lucky that grow lucky quote, scare quotes lucky for growing up like strong associations with uh, with cicadas and so when they appear in anime it's it was natural to me and then I read all these articles online of like why are cicadas always in anime says, <laughs> says Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> like it's like it's funny that like What's people up can with grow all these cicadas well it's it's interesting because since I when since I moved to Missouri there are not many as if no cicadas here there definitely isn't like the the like skins that get left over in the shed and the dead bodies all over the streets when they die um so it's kind of like it's kind of like how fireflies have gotten less common for me as i've moved north and gotten older too so all these insectoid signifiers of the seasons have kind of faded away and so there is a certain nostalgia in 
for example, watching Endless Eight, where the where the the constant cicada noises, as well as them hunting cicadas, is part of just being trapped in a permanent summer. There is it is used to be, to be like this is summer, even more so than than having a beach episode and running down to the shore and going umida, umida. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean. I'll go ahead and start off, and y'all can interrupt because I think this is going to be a big one for everybody, is Neon Genesis Evangelion especially uses cicadas to show that the Earth's axis has been knocked off its center by the second impact, and it's just always summer, which means it's always hot, and there's always cicadas whenever anyone's outside. And I don't remember getting to that bit. I only watched four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, like there is always just one. like, it's just always summer there. And, and while like forever summer is something from like a teen high school movie of like a good thing here, mm-hmm. like the noise, the constant, like it's literally a grating noise. The cicadas are just always there, never going away. They're very it, oppressive. Like, they're celebrating a... Christmas. It's cicadas. It's the New Year's. There's cicadas, always cicadas everywhere. And I think that's probably the best use of it as kind of psychic damage, short of, I think, Serial Experiments Lane does it a bit too. Although the soundtrack also picks up when the cicadas drop off in, in Lane, I think. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else have any yeah, examples the... of it being used as psychic assault <laughs> sort of thing? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, uh, definitely uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion's a, a very good example because it is really oppressive, like constantly. I'm pretty sure it's used every... For, I can't remember the moments because I haven't watched it in a while, but there is definitely a couple of bits where it's definitely used as like the emotional sort of oppressiveness of everything that's going around anyway I'll stop and saying when, and when like Shinji's having like there's a, a couple points where he's, where he's having a panic attack and Ano and whoever's sound director is sorry sound director like has it rise up to drown out there is a sense that it's just there always getting at you and I like that which contrasts to my other big example which is in Not Snow Arashi where it's just 100% used to be like it's still summer because Natsuno Arashi can only the uh, Arashi, the titular Arashi uh, of Natsuno Arashi can only appear in the summer. The titular Natsu, uh, so uh, just signifying when different events are summer versus in the past or in the future uh, of this one particular summer where he's that he spent with this character. It is just kind of a very strong signpost that it's interesting is taken for granted as far as I can tell in Japanese anime. You don't really have someone be like oh it's the cicadas because it's summer it's (laughs) they don't need to do that sort of signposting and uh, like growing up where i uh in bc like our like insectoid herald of herald of summer was just fucking spiders everywhere (laughs) and so i i never really had like the cicada experience (laughs) and the cicadas are gross when they die and they leave their they leave their like carapaces everywhere when they shed them it's like I remember collecting them a bunch as a kid and then realizing that I was just collecting a bunch of dead skin and it wasn't actually like a good, like you can find them. It's not a collection. If you find ever, it'd be like collecting grass blades or cigarette butts or something. It's like, yeah. So they're gross, but spiders are grosser. I agree. (laughs) But like, yeah, like my first sort of like introduction to cicadas was probably Neon Genesis Evangelion. And it was 
it's always sort of like I, I i don't even really know if i knew what i was hearing it was just like this is the sound that japan makes when things are bad <laughs> <laughs> and the uh and I've always kind of associated it with more like sort of that like melancholy dog days of summer where, you know, and, and I guess like summer is not really a like liminal period for Japanese kids as much because it's kind of like in the middle of the school year for them. Right. It's just kind of like there's a, a, a no, month yeah, break I mean, in the middle of the year. They don't, have, like, like, they don't like, have summer break like we do. Like oftentimes, mm-hmm, yeah. I think at least U.S. does. We get three months well, off, which is ridiculous. They have golden week, and they have um, they have they do have a couple of weeks off when it's very hot. Um, but like, but, but yeah, like, no, they, they but do not have, like, but not like endless no, empty not, summer. Not like three months. And yes. it's, and it's also not a, like you know, like the end of summer heralds like a new moment in life where you're like you're going to high school or you're going to college or no, something like that. That's, that's spring. Spring yeah. is when they go to go to college and so, when they start their new year. And so like that 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 melancholy dog days of summer i don't know if that's really a cultural thing over there and so you like when you have that sort of used in like north american cinema like where you have like those oppressively hot dog days and you have you know if something's in the south you'll have that like that just that screaming wall of white noise kind of cicada sound like it's that's just like that's the audio signifier of it's fucking hot out in a lot of in a lot of movies and in in anime you know it's used like that sometimes like and chihaya chihaya uh when arate is going back to his first uh tournament and they have like a very similar moment like in Evangelion where the like the sound of the cicadas is rising and rising matching his like internal struggle of like you know does he want to go back to this world or not and it's 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 interesting because it's it's not like a it's not a universal signifier of any one thing it's just kind of like it's it's a mood setter that is entirely contextual for what's happening on screen and it can work for a lot of different things and and like and you were saying like in like an Evangelion like they they sort of invert it and turn it into like you know you know there's too much of a good thing there's too much summer there's too much you know there's too much of this thing that you would normally associate with comfort and freedom and it's just you know well it, I, I think that also adds with the common thing that appears with uh, with cicadas in anime which is power lines <laughs> there is even a mm. I've already posted on the the Facebook for uh, keyframes, but there is the article of just like top ten still scenes of power lines with cicadas playing <laughs> in the background, um, which is called out if I've ever seen one. But there is this idea that like that the, this thing that's nominally good is a is a force for entrapment because because power lines bring I mean whatever the incredibly difficult to reckon with associations we have with fossil fuel power etc cetera, etc cetera. there is this idea that like power lines to your house means that you're not living in the dark while your food spoils but more of them and more of them becomes like a net or a web or a cage and so the best shots i often feel have this idea of like just encroaching power lines so that visually you feel trapped while at the same time you're being subjected to cicadas which can like get up to 95 decibels in terms of volume so there is kind of just a series of nominally good things turned bad by ubiquity or omnipresence i mean also uh, it would it would 
behoove me not to mention Non Non Biori has some great Chicago noises, which very much is purposely putting you in the place of this is a beautiful summer in your lovely romanticized life as a mm-hmm. child in the village, in the countryside. And I fucking love it. <laughs> Best anime. <laughs> well, it, it is funny that it's such a double-edged sword where it is mm. used to, to be like, these are perfect idyllic days. And on the other hand, you have shows like I ha- technically haven't seen, but like Higurashi, When They Cry, which is literally about like, like the cicadas are, are metonymy for, for like death and decline and that, that's actually small town a, a, life. A, an interesting question I'd ask you, you, Ben, as the one who has the experience of a, a season film, does their tone change depending on when they are? So do they make a different sound when they first emerge than the days before they have their mass die off? Because, like, if there is, like, a difference in tone, that would explain No, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe so. Like, this is my, again, like, eighth or ninth, <laughs> eight, eight or nine-year-old understanding of the cicada lifestyle. But cicadas are fat, they're slow, they have no defenses. Their only advantage uh, is that they reproduce in huge numbers and so literally what they do is when they emerge from the ground in the summer they blast out these deafening mating cries so that they can fuck as much as possible and have babies before every other living thing in the area eats them um and then if they don't even if they survive getting eaten they die off and like the the hibernation cycle begins again so no it's just it's just something that happens with clock-like regularity and is kind of almost in contravention to what we would think of as like natural selection it takes rabbits game plan and brings it to a whole new level because at least rabbits can run fast and hide prince of a thousand mm. enemies so no yeah. So I like spring guys, break. <laughs> do you guys think that anime as a whole tends to have more shows which are concerned with seasons? Because I, I wonder if, like, the fact that Slice of Life is a far more strong genre within anime than a lot of mediums, maybe that's why I... We we get more cicada sounds and more like beach episodes and more um, first secure sakura blossoms of spring etc. Like because like it has far more shows which are concerned with being in the moment than necessarily dragging a plot forward. I mean. I would say that a lot of shows are naturally set at school, which is always revolving around terms. And I think yeah, a lot true. of a lot of the um, sort of those noises, they're just um, they're shorthands to signify exactly what where they are in the year without necessarily stating on a screen like it's April, it's June. Um, so like, and then also on, on top of that, it romanticizes that era. Like so much of that school school life stuff is all romanticizing, like from mangakas or point of view, which then translates to the. You know, the readers who are either in school so they can relate or they're not in school and they can, they can, you know, be, uh, you know, see that. Yeah, think fondly back to those memories. And it's just like, it's just a very conventional and convenient shorthand. Yeah. Likewise with Sakura, you you got like, it's one of the most uh, uniquely Japanese things I would potentially say that you could have where like everything just turns pink and it's fucking beautiful so this, let's this make actually, it beautiful <laughs> this weird thing is like my the 
uh, a state where I was I lived from like age like ten to like eighteen. Uh, they had all cherry trees plant, planted along the main sort of uh, uh, thing, and so like my childhood has these weird memories of pavements covered in uh, uh, cherry blossom every, every every year, and like so I, I sort of get that, but no weird bugs in my neighbourhood, so <laughs> maybe I got the better half of the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> he's just upset now. He's just upset, Ben. He's like, no, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm, you I'm, did. I'm feeling old and thoughtful about, about this sort of thing. Just like there is, I mean, I feel that any discussion of Japanese culture, when it when it shades into a discussion of Japanese aesthetic principles, has jumped the shark. Nevertheless, uh, when I think of the whole concept of like mono no aware, this like. The, which is often translated, I think, honestly, kind of stupidly as the oddness of things, just appreciating something, knowing that it, it's temporary and passing. I think that it, it is it is in a lot of anime just kind of just this raw aesthetic force that you have this ubiquitous, unignorable signifier of summer. Uh, and when it goes away, it's not just because summer goes away, but because the thing that created it is dead. Uh, and after oftentimes after like cicadas, certain species of cicadas can take up to 17 years to emerge. And so it is in some ways the pinnacle of this mayfly life cycle where all this this life force and energy is devoted to creating a thing that will only exist for for days or weeks. And I think that there a certain the sort of wabi sabi shabby melancholy of of japanese aesthetics often i think loves the cicada because it is it is something that is born to die in a way that is much more apparent to us humans who don't don't really understand that the 80 year interval is just an interval <laughs> too well, that's, that's interesting do you know if the, the 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 species which are like predominant in japan have like that roughly sort of 16 year uh, sort of I think they're yearly because there's definitely like cicada booms like you have in like the east coast of the states where they emerge every five or six or seven or eight years and then there you have like the the annual ones that show up you know reliably every year yeah. I was just wondering if there was like this point where what what Andy was mentioning of around like how high school is like the the setting of so much anime and like the the life cycle of of cicadas uh, sort of intermesh like if 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 they like live live until they, they typically have like a teenage year life cycle and then they die that that's actually weirdly appropriate for something like uh, Higurashi so where you have like all these teenagers dying horribly so there are two types of cicadas which are annual cicadas which are the ones that are that are endemic to North America and the periodic cicadas, which are endemic to, uh, um, to both North America and, uh, Asia. And so, so the 13 and 70 year ones are North American. It's the seven year ones that are in Japan, but they're staggered. They're staggered sufficiently, I believe. Uh, so that, that there's always some there. Although as Jeff said, there are times when just like the boom years sync up and then you just have a billion cicadas, uh, uh, but yeah, there is like yeah. I'm I'm glad that my idea of of the sort of just like doom 
doomed to make a big noise and die as it resonates with uh, y'all too as like a kind of <laughs> just like beautiful concept i don't know maybe not beautiful yeah. poignant concept yeah it's definitely the bug equivalent of live fast die young and, yeah. <laughs> born to die, die, die summers of fuck <laughs> 33 trillion desiccators <laughs> <laughs> I am trash cicada. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, that feels like a natural stopping point. Does anyone have any other like guy- nice cicada moments? I can't believe that you haven't brought up Dragon Maid, Duncan. Well, I was like going to think that Dragon Maid like free shot is free panel is hilarious of Cannon eating the cicada. I can't believe you just stole it from Duncan like that, Andy. That is cold <laughs> as ice. No, it's, it's, it's like I, I was going to bring that. Like hurt Kanna's attitude to that, like bug collecting and and like this, is finding them completely like people's fascination with them, completely unknowable to her. Like she, like one of the uh, readings which people have of uh, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid is that the the dragons are essentially stand-ins for uh, foreigners, people who come to Japan and who don't understand its uh, customs and who obviously have to f- find it all a bit strange and like i think in in a weird way like canna's like complete and utter puzzlement with cicadas and dealing with them in the way that infant dragons deal with everything by eating them to find out <laughs> how to what, what's going on well some um, some is... cultures do eat cicadas like they were eaten in ancient greece and they are eaten in china Goddamn Greek. Uh, <laughs> as well as according to wikipedia malaysia burma north america which is not very precise and central africa <laughs> as well locust the only uh, kosher invertebrate i cannot speak to that <laughs> whatsoever what? i'm afraid <laughs> Sure. Sounds about about right. Um, (laughs) uh, Anyways, write, review, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just I I got completely derailed by (laughs) by Jeff asking something so far outside of my expertise that I can't even speak to it. But you don't have to be an expert on everything, dear. Just be an expert of what you know. <laughs> no, I I know everything. There's nothing I there's nothing I don't know. But apart, but you apart, do apart know... from locusts, whether locusts are kosher and whether they own the kosher. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I don't know. Do, do we want to talk about like any like any other like tropes for summer, or do we think that this is good enough? Like, I think that beach I mean, episodes would be a pretty banal conversation, but every anime yeah. does have a beach episode. It's about episode seven or eight usually. Yeah, yeah. Once they once they've handed <laughs> it off to the the second studio that's doing subcontracting. Yeah. Sub, and the, the, the likelihood of having a beach episode increase the more female cast members you yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. Show by Rock does it for episode seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, six precisely. Yeah. 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 Cool. Which is okay. weird because it was just after a really strong emotional point, and then it was just like the next episode starts with them on a fucking beach, and I'm like, yeah, uh, sounds about You're right. You're lucky. There's a second. I think there's a second beach episode in the second se- series too. Well, of so. course, there's a second season. Like, there's got a, there's, there's like, yeah. But beach episodes are great. I mean, yeah. me, me and Andy watched uh, uh, Grand Blue Dreaming uh, a oh, season or so two back, good. which was. 
basically just a summer break at, at the anime. <laughs> which, yeah, it, were there cicadas in that? Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of things in that. I don't remember Shikane. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of explosive youthfulness comes out um, as they've been sixteen, spent sixteen years being oppressed by their parents, and then there's a lot of male nudity. It's beautiful. Fucking love that Do you anime. Know if there's uh, like that, I think that's that's set in the. There's quite a difference in climate between some parts of uh, the, the southern parts of the Japanese. Tra- Island, uh, and, yeah, and, and I don't the know, northern. I don't know exactly where it's set. It's set on the mainland. I know that much, and I think it's mm-hmm. in Izu. I could be wrong, but it's the same place where Amanchu is set, which is also mm-hmm. a very yeah. good summer anime. Um, I was wondering if like cicadas are, are regional to a certain extent, like the more southern, like as as we've been just moving. From one state yeah, to another, yeah. well, it's well, don't, don't an incredibly vast it's a, it's country. A, it's a five hundred mile difference here. Like we're... <laughs> I mean, I imagine where there's more concrete, there's less Chicago. 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 There's, there's more Chicago when there's more concrete. Yes, it is <laughs> verifiable. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine Tokyo probably doesn't have that many, but it's still very, it's still going to be there. I don't know. I don't live in Japan at the moment. Yeah, so. at the moment. I, mean, like, um, <laughs> I think it's interesting, like, the two 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 summer things, like, you brought up then, Amaranchu and uh, Grand Blue Dreaming, like, neither of them, we remember cicadas popping up, and I don't think I remember any in, oh, bloody hell, Fishing Anime, which we did. Suritama. Oh, I don't remember any popping up in that, and that was primary set in the, the summer as well. And so I wonder if it's like a, something which just doesn't happen on the coast. Again, so- I, I just wonder, I just think it's maybe it's used very briefly as a shorthand, but not used as a main thesis. Yeah, we're, we're, too, we're too accustomed to just like Evangelion being like. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Duncan. <laughs> no, but it's, it's just because Ben posited like the eternal summer of Evangelion was like a, a bad thing, and yet these other series, which have like their own like eternal summers of youth, don't seem to feel like they they need that signifier all the time. Perhaps because it's a happy signifier, and cicadas mean death too much. <laughs> I mean, in some cultures, they mean rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you gotta die first. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, what what it's what it seems like is that, um, and I'm reading an, I'm reading an article from Japan hyphen experience dot com slash to know slash understanding hyphen Japanese hyphen cicadas. So I think you should put it in the uh, in the show notes. <laughs> I will. Um, it looks like different species of cicadas uh, do. Uh, live in different areas but generally speaking the the area is from northern hokkaido down to near taiwan so i imagine uh that it it's more just an aesthetic choice than verisimilitude of like there's no cicadas here in southern kyushu so we're not going to show them yeah um, it's just like it's impo- it's so difficult for me as a as a outsider to tell like is are they trying to to signify something local, which we are completely missing out on because we don't have that context. Sometimes there's obviously things like um, dialects and uh, um, accents, which probably come up and we are just like completely oblivious apart from when they're really obvious, like Satomi or I. (laughs) How dare you? 
Satomi's perfect. She should be in every <clears throat> anime. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this def- this is like the anyway. third time we've run out of steam, so I'm going to go ahead and call it there. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Remember, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod. Find mm-hmm. us on Facebook, search for Keyframes Podcast. Uh, email us questions at mm-hmm. KeyframesPodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And tell a friend. <laughs> yeah, but don't tell any friend. Uh, you should probably tell your friend who likes to collect dead animals. Uh, as a weird sort of keepsake and then realize it's actually fucking morbid. I I read just now that they leave their intact skins specifically to be decoys for predators so that they attack the skins and not the actual bugs, which is pretty rad. Say goodbye, everybody. Worked on you. Bye. There you go. Oh, and my prediction for Dragon Pilot, Hisone Tomasatan, uh, is that Amakasu takes everyone's advice and quits the Dragon Pilot program because of her love for Okonogi. But then the other pilots need her for whatever, and she joins them at the last minute, which leads her to realize that she can love Okonogi and Masatan the dragon equally, and that one love strengthens the other, and blah. <laughs>